Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. Great to be with you today. It is Tuesday, June 9th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. It's the Tuesday show, so that means I'm joined by my sister, Julie, because we love talking on Tuesdays, don't we, Jewel? <laughs> right. That's about it, Leanne. We, we got selected for this assignment, uh, but I'm happy we did, Leanne, because I enjoy talking to you on Tuesdays. So I do. How- I, I enjoy catching up without the others interfering, really. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We have a lot to talk about. As someone pointed out last week on the Facebook page, that it's too bad we're not opinionated enough. So, uh, Julie, I think you called it today. What did you say today's show is going to be? It's going to be a very fine show, Leanne. That's what we have today. (laughs) Fine show. We have some actual topics that we're going to talk about. You know, we have been doing the weekly recap of Outlander, and that's over now. So we have a gap to fill and we've rushed in and we filled it with some some Tuesday stuff. So um, actually, we're going to talk about an op-ed piece in the New York Times that is gathering a lot of um, a lot of critics and fans alike about student loans. Julie, you have something that all high school juniors should be doing from the dean at Stanford. You have a list of activities for them. This is it. This is the secret land, the secret from the freshman dean at um, Stanford University, what your juniors should be doing this summer. Okay, so you might want to get out a pen and paper uh, to take notes. Okay, because I assume it's not sitting on the couch watching The Simpsons, which is what my juniors actually currently doing. So there you go. We have a follow up to last week's comments on community service. I spoke out <laughs> against community service, the concept of mandatory community service. I just said for us for a long time. It just seems very forced. We'll go into it, but we got a very lively discussion on the Facebook page. Lots of very thoughtful comments, different points of view, parents in different schools and different places with different age kids commenting on, you know, what is obviously a trend, mandatory community service, no matter what kind of school your kid is at. We do have Tuesday trends. It's fashion related. (laughs) Which is mm-hmm. exciting when we cover fashion. Uh, we're going to talk. It excites us at least, right, Leanne? Because <laughs> we're ill qualified. Uh, and then uh, we have some movie and TV uh, uh, tips. I want Julie recommendations for you. I feel bad oh, after the Outlander finale. <laughs> I feel so me bad. Me too, Leanne. Me too. But we'll yeah. talk about that. But okay. you know, you really got me back because you told that horrible story about the house infested with snakes. And guess <laughs> what I had a dream about last night, Julie? <gasps> oh no, Leanne. Yeah, it has terrified me. The image of those snakes in the wall. Thanks so much. So I feel like there's been payback <laughs> already. And then there is a beauty trend I would like to um, put out to the Satellite Sisterhood. I want some information on it. I'm sure some of you have already tried it so and then uh and that's it oh and then we have a special message on heart health from go red for women so all right jewel this um op-ed piece appeared in the new york times this week getting a lot of um a lot of press isn't it right this is um elise siegel who is a writer and um he wrote in the new york times uh, about his his personal experience where he was from a lower middle class family his parents were divorced but he um, decided to go to a small private liberal arts college, expensive uh, private school, 
and he and his mother co-signed some loans. Uh, fast forward, you know, he chose, you know, he loved you know, being at the private school, but later his parents developed more financial troubles and he had to switch schools. Anyway, he did complete his degree, but ended up with a lot of student loans, but he was convinced that he wanted a life as a writer. And he, as he wrote in this piece in the Sunday New York Times magazine, that he just got to a point where he had to make a decision to either choose another um, occupation that would pay more so he could pay off his loan, or he could choose the life that he really intended for himself to be a writer and to default on his loan. And that's exactly what he did. He decided to default on his student loans. And it raises the question, um, you know, it raises the question I think that all millennials are dealing with, Gen Xers are dealing with, and even baby boomers are dealing with, Leanne, which is the crushing, really the crushing burden of student loans that, you know, for many kids as they're going to colleges now, they're, you know, they're in school, they're borrowing money, um, and they're getting out of school. And now the jobs, the job market, you know, the pay is not there. And it's, and it really is shaping how they live their adult lives because they have to pay back these giant student loans where mm-hmm. they're, you know, some kids are leaving school with a hundred thousand dollars in under, you know, undergraduate student loans. That's so, nuts. I mean, it's, it's an, it's an amazing thing because it then, you know, it certainly shapes what kind of job you, you seek. And then it, you know, it, you know, whether or not you can afford a house, you probably, you know, can't with that kind of loan burden. Do you delay having a family? Do you delay, delay getting married because of these student loans? So this piece was, you know, he went on to say that, you know, he has advice for other people because he, you know, he, he's th- he really thinks that it is criminal, the whole system of student loans and how the government, the universities, the banks have all financial institutions are all involved in in this, you know, really burdening a whole generation um, with, you know, with just really un- unnecessary debt. But he does at the same time say that if you're you know, planning on defaulting on your student loans that, you know, he had some suggestions, which were kind of Sheila like his suggestions, honestly, were like what Sheila would do. Yes. I I think maybe Sheila's his financial planner. He said, you should take out a lot of credit cards before you default on your loan because your credit rating is obviously going to be impacted by your default. So, you know, it's good to get your line of credit early. And then you, as well, you should sort of square away your rental situation because, again, it's going to be difficult to find another place to live because most, you know, rent when you go to rent an apartment, they do some a credit check. And if you've defaulted on your student loans, that may impact your ability to get uh, to get the apartment. And then third, he suggested that you find a partner with good credit. So that, that, you know, you can go ahead and default on your loans as long as you've lined up a partner for life who has better credit. So then I guess everything goes in his or her name. And not to besmirch our sister Sheila, who has none of this. She has paid off all her student loans. Yes, she I'm has. just saying occasionally she has some magical thinking when it comes to finance. And this guy's advice, I was stunned by it, Julie. I, yeah. I just, I mean, there was a lot of issues to talk about because on the one hand, yes, entire generations 
burdened with this tremendous student debt. It's almost like $30,000. That's the average debt that people are coming out of college with, you know, but in some cases it is up to $100,000, $120,000 if you've gone to a private college. And, you know, and that doesn't include graduate school, obviously. So what was your take? Because you've been in academia. Yes, you put two kids through college. You know, you kind of pay attention to these sorts of things. And we've had a lot of private conversations where you've said to me, it just doesn't matter where your kids go to school. Just it's not worth the debt. Like you could get a good education anywhere. So what was your thought about this? Well, I, I, that, I mean, that was the main thing that I was, I was thinking as I read this, that, you know, the, that it was unnecessary to, you know, to, to take on that, that kind of debt. Um, but at the same time, I think if you do take on the debt, you really need to pay it off. Okay. Yes. That I, you know, I think the idea that somehow defaulting on, on your, on your student loan, cause you, he wrote there that he want, he chose life as if that was something dramatic and honorable and wonderful to do. No, you walked away from a big debt is what you did. And, right. And, and that's not fair. But I mean, I, as you said, I have worked as an administrator at a number of schools, you know, private, private schools and public schools, but where, you know, I see students coming in, taking out, a, you know, working out their financial aid packages, taking out, taking on loans. And I have really, I've come around with that land. I, I just, I, you know, I just can't. I, you know, I can't, I'm not in favor necessarily of burdening your future by just getting some big name degree. I, I really am not. I think that you can, you can be just as successful in graduate school and in your professional career, you know, by going to some, um, some more affordable schools and that you are burdening, you know, you are really putting yourself behind the eight ball to have, you know, to have a big debt that you have to worry about to pay off. You know, it's just, I, you know, so I, I applaud the um, the writer for um, for you know for being honest, uh, even though if he is a little crazy in his point of view. But I you know I applaud him that he you know he's he's writing about that because I think he's raising a very important discussion. You know, I mean schools, you know they really we we've, we've been running this system and it is about to blow up. It's it interesting. Is. There's a there's a piece today in the news where the Obama administration is going to forgive um student loans at a uh, for all former students if they can prove that they were lured into this uh, it was it's one of those proprietary schools, a for-profit school called Corinthian College where essentially they were they were propping up their employment numbers that, that, you know, so if you wanted to look to see where graduates got jobs at Corinthian College, what Corinthian College was doing was paying off temper, paying temp agencies to hire their graduates for short periods of time so that, you know, Corinthian College could say 100% of our graduates got jobs, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then the students were let go. So this is... This is, um, you know, the Obama administration wants to uh, forgive $3.5 billion uh, worth of student loans uh, for this one particular situation. So, you know, I think there are a lot of other people that want to walk away from their student loans. I think there are people, you know, that are, you know, that it just is not a sustainable system that we have. You know, it's just I think we, we you know, we're at that breaking point and maybe this article will get more people talking seriously about how to 
restructure some of this. I think that's why you're seeing like online universities coming into play and you're seeing, you know, really a shift, a move towards more affordable undergraduate education. Because it's crazy expensive. If you haven't had a kid apply to college or in college lately, like, you know, it's gone up something like 825% over the last 25 years, the cost of colleges. The average private college now you can expect to pay between $55,000 and $65,000 a year for the college. The state schools, you know, you go to a UC school here, that's $32,000 a year for room board and tuition at uh, a UC school. I know other schools may be a little bit less in various states, but if you're out of state, you can also, um, you know, plan on paying that at a big state university. The It's just so crazy expensive. You can't even, all of a sudden it felt like it went from $30,000 a year to 50,000. And now it's $65,000 a year at some of these private colleges in the United States. It's like buying a luxury car every single year. Yeah. In cash. It's like buying a luxury car in cash. Uh, And the the other thing I've noticed about um, 17, 18 year olds, they have no concept of debt. Yeah. They do yeah. not understand. So I have seen a couple of friends really be tortured in their college decision when they had to say no to the super expensive college and say yes to the college where their child got more merit aid because their child is thinking, well, I'm going to get out and I'm going to get a great job. And so what if I take out eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 worth of loans? I'm going to be making $100,000 a year. They all think they're going to make $100,000 yeah. a year. And that somehow when they make that, then they'll have like $50,000 extra cash to pay off their loans. There is no correlation between the understanding at 17, 18 of the $10,000, $20,000 a year you might be taking out in loans to attend a private college and how that gets paid off over 40, 50 years. You know, it's, you don't have a lot of cash hanging around no, <laughs> and you when know. you're in your 20s. <laughs> You know, you know, so. and I will, I will give Lee Lee Siegel the uh, the author some credit. I mean, you know, we he wants to be a writer. He wants to go into a field that is not, you know, where you're you're not going to see. You know, most writers are not earning high incomes, and so you know, I we need we still we will always need writers. We will always need artists. We will always need people that want to go into fields that are social not work, working social- at nonprofits. You know, yes, certain teaching jobs, right? That. We right. need people to do that. And that, you know, it is it is so unfair to them as they choose these careers then to, and to burden them or to lay on, you know, these giant um, debts. And that's that's a real issue. And I think it, it is really, you know, it's so so Lee did us a good job there to raise the topic and to raise it in an important, you know, uh, newspaper Um but I, I don't think he should have defaulted on the yeah. loan. And I, he's giving out a lot of really bad financial advice. Yes. Like I looked at companion columns at Slate and Vox where they have economists actually go, this is sort of criminal behavior that he's advocating. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, don't yeah, it's fraudulent do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, Please do this, not do that. Right. Like they will garnish your wages. They're going to get, you know, they're going to get their money back, the federal government. Maybe they can't garnish your wages because you're a freelancer, Lee, but for people with a paycheck, they garnish your wages or your social security. They're going to get their student loan money back. Or you don't even get the job because they check your credit rating as as part of uh, job applications now. And therefore, you know... So, you know, that's not a good plan. So, you know, sometimes college admissions people, you know, will say, 
go ahead and apply to schools, even if you can't afford it or it seems out of reach, you don't know what your financial aid package is going to be. But from what I've seen, it is so hard when the children get into the schools they want for the parents to shut it down, to yeah. say, sorry, we, I mean, that is something you absolutely have to set up before. As I said, I have seen a lot of people struggle with that and I, I'm sure it's really hard. You feel they want to go to this school and they've gotten in and they have all the glossy brochures and they have no concept of money. So I, I don't necessarily think that's a great way to approach college admission. Like, go ahead, put in an application. You never know. Well, you kind of know. You kind of know if you can afford that school or not. Right. You have some, you know, with the new net price calculators on the admission sites, you have some idea of what you're going to be paying. But it's just, it is a burden because it's crazy expensive. I hope, frankly, I hope the system explodes um, next year because, <laughs> because. <laughs> With that, my, as your son is yeah. applying to college? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. I, it is, but it is, it is not the same, it is not the same world that we went to school no. in or, you know, or, you know, a, a, as a baby boomer or a Gen Xer, mm -hmm. I mean, it's much more difficult for the millennials as they're, right. as they're graduating. Yeah. So. And, and then you see things like, you know, Harvard got a $400 million donation last yeah. week. Well then yeah. why is there, why is there any tuition at all at Harvard? <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, you see, so you see the endowments of some of these yeah. colleges. You, I know a lot of schools are saying, oh, if your parents make under a hundred and twenty five thousand you don't have to pay but there's a big there's just a big gap you know there's a <laughs> it's still a lot of money for what they theoretically think you could pay some of these schools right. could just underwrite the undergraduate tuition they could they, they could they could they have and billions they and billions of dollars but so. yeah because the the system that you know that kids that you know that young kids should be paying for all of this it, it's just not working they just don't really it's, 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 it's not working. really not working it's not working now with that all said yeah. i know you want uh your your uh younger son to go to stanford and i now know <laughs> i've got the word land on what the from the former dean of uh of the freshmen at stanford or first years as i'm sure it's called yes uh, first years Oh, yeah. first years about what teenagers should be doing in the summer. And you know what okay. the big answer is, Lynn? What? Nothing. That's what teenagers should be doing. Really? Yes. This is a, <laughs> on the yeah. sites because that's pretty much what he's doing. Okay. This What's is happening? Julie Lythcott Haim. And she is the former uh, 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 first year dean at Stanford. And she said that you must let your children feel summer. That's what needs to go on, that you need to loosen the reins, Leanne, that we have to get away from what she re refers to as a checklisted childhood. Because uh, you, uh, you can imagine that the students that she sees at Stanford um, have, have probably worked through a lot of checklists uh, that, that, you know, what we really need to be doing with our children is they need to be unfettered by adult fears. Now, I know you have fears for your son, Leanne, right? Yes. That he's Every parent does. Everybody. That he's never going to leave his room. Right, right. <laughs> that his whole life will be spent watching The Simpsons. And well, see, he's doing the right thing, Leon, because according to according to Julie, not that not this Julie, uh, not, uh, not satellite sister Julie, but uh, uh, this the other Julie, that he's developing his sense of self. He is like he has the time to run around with his friends. He should be allowed to just play to make up games um and that this doing nothing is actually doing something Liam, and that he's working at doing nothing that um 
So that's what that I, sounds like a good college essay topic to me. He could well, work on that. I, well, uh, this is what I'm telling you, Leanne, <laughs> that if you follow that strategy to, to let him do nothing. Right. I just I want to be sure. I want you to be sh- uh, sure to note to note that as as your sister and as a former uh, dean of admissions, <laughs> that the, the kid better come up with some brilliant essays, stellar grades and over the top recommendations or <laughs> or his. And uh, so he can go ahead and feel summer, but he better have that other stuff too. Okay. <laughs> hey, I'm feeling summer. It's I day two. It's... I'm feeling it. That's okay. for sure. Well, you can buy her book, Lee, and she's written a book. It's how to raise an adult, break free of the over parenting trap and prepare your kid for success. Okay. You know, it does literally take Every ounce of restraint you have as a parent not to nag them 24 hours a day, seven days a week when they're high school juniors. <laughs> I bet, is, I, I'm sure it's much worse even than when my uh, my kids were in high school. Sometimes I just have to walk out of the room because I have to pace myself <laughs> on the nagging, on the checklist of childhood. I just have to walk out of the room or I'm going to say something else that he, quote, needs to do that day. And I, I ran into a whole bunch of moms of juniors. Um, Parents said uh, that we all have kids at different high schools, but the kids went to elementary school together this weekend. And that's it. You know, it's like, what are you doing? What are they doing for the summer? Did they take the SAT last week, the ACT? With private college counselor, is that worth it? This, I mean, it's just, it is hard not to nag them every single day. So I, I may get that book just as some backup because. Okay. All right. I, I mean. It's exhausting. I, it is exhausting. I think she has, uh, I think she's right, but is, she's in a very, she's been in a very unusual position. She's, she's, <laughs> she can get smart. her kid she, into Stanford. Right. I probably, they had, they had some employee, you know, employee thing. They got an employee discount. I, I mean, I, as a disclaimer, I worked at Stanford for a very brief time at a very low level. So I am, I, I don't, I don't want to oversell myself. And I, I was, a very, very limited, limited role at that fine, um, fine institution. But she's selling a book um, because uh, because she is the former dean at Stanford. Okay, and so that right? I mean, that's why that's you would buy. That's why you're buying the bowl. I want to get the secret of you know, like what, what you know, what do I really have to do? Uh, and there is I, something to be said for it, though. Just yes, letting them have a regular summer that's not filled with prep classes and do this and academic classes and um, you know maybe a little job and and you know hanging out with their friends. There is definitely something to be said for that. It's not the worst thing in the world. I think that's true. I'm sure that she has ex- witnessed in her 10 years working with first-year students the consequences, the negative consequences of having an, you know, an overly programmed childhood, of having, you know, been, ch- uh, you know, checklist all the way through, you know, to be, and you know, for kids who achieved at a high level in high school. Uh, and then get to college and maybe don't have the strongest sense of themselves, you know, right. or don't have any idea of who the Simpsons are. Right. That, that would be the other thing. That's, right? That would be a tragedy. Um. <laughs> Epic. That would be an epic fail. I think that's what they say. Silicon You know, though, you know, with uh, we had a situation this weekend here. um, A a young girl, a high school, sixteen-year-old, went to take her parents dropped her off to take the SAT, and she disappeared. 
she uh, she texted her brother and she just said, I can't take the pressure from school. Uh, it's weighing me down. And she never went in to take the SAT and when her parents went to pick her up. So that's been posted all over people's Facebook pages. They are still looking for her here in oh, California. So this idea of backing off every once in a while, it's very, I mean, that's an extreme case, but it's very real. It's not, not the worst thing. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, I'll start next week backing off. Because <laughs> You got a few things on the list? He's got to take the ACTs on Saturday. And then we're meeting with his high school college counselor on Thursday. Okay, well, maybe you should, like, as a month, within a month, do you give him a little little more free rate? Okay, that's good, Liam. All right, well, one of the things I mentioned last week that got a huge response on the Facebook page was community service. Now, we were in a desperate situation. Um, My son needed some more hours the week before, the weekend before. And I said, it's totally his fault. You know, this is, he, we, he's at a, it's a Catholic school. They require mandatory community service hours, 10 hours freshman year, 20 sophomore year, 30 as a junior and 40 as a senior. You know all about it. We signed on the dotted line. That doesn't make it any easier to execute or meaning or, you know, more pleasant, um, he got them all in. We went to, we had to go to a bunch of food banks together last weekend. Hopefully there'll be a lasting experience for him. Maybe not. Uh, he got them all in, got everything checked off on his list. But Julie, they did come into his English exam the first day and remove a couple of kids from the room. Did not get Because to... they had not finished yeah. the community service. Yeah. And so that was happened? the, that was the threat. And I thought they were just bluffing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't. I was like, "Are you Woo! kidding?" Wow, that is, that's really bringing down the hammer. Okay, I guess they, I guess they're serious about the community service. Okay, so, but even before we got here, I've always been sort of suspicious of mandatory community service. I always thought it wasn't really something. I thought it was something that the, should be either you know run by the parent, run you know should be encouraged by the parents. A lot of kids do it through scouting. A lot of kids do it through churches. It just seemed sometimes to be something that schools slap on top of their regular curriculum as kind of it looks good and it feels good. But in essence, actually carrying out most likely, most often becomes the burden of the parents. Uh, There's some kids that are super enthusiastic. They get involved. They check off those hours. It's no problem. Um, But in other times, there are a lot of weird restrictions for community service. A lot of organizations, you can't be under 18 or under 16, or you need special training, or you need a TB shot. I mean, honestly, it can be kind of complicated. You can't just show up and start doing good stuff. So for me, I always have wrestled with it, you know, thinking that it is really something that should be run out of the home. And once you start putting mandatory on it, like it kind of loses the idea of, you know, what community service is supposed to bring to you. It's supposed to be something you enjoy, something you like, and that you get something out of. So this is just one mom's opinion. And so I put that out there in just complete frustration last week (laughs) after our near miss. So, and I was surprised we got a ton of responses. Uh, I'm not alone in feeling the frustration with how the community service has become mandatory and run out of the schools as some sort of, you know, some people call it resume building other, you know, other people thought that again, it should be something that is done in the home or the church. There just seemed to be 
even though a great idea, community service, a lot of restrictions that can make the execution, you know, very exhausting for families to actually do it. So I believe in community service. I just, the mandatory part and the punitive part, I, I don't believe in. And I was surprised, Julie, we had a couple of parents say that their kids could not walk in graduation one at the middle school level and one at the high school level because their kids hadn't executed their community service. And in both cases, these kids had really suffered from um, anxiety and depression during the year. So they were dealing with a lot of stuff on the home front. They were probably, as parents, just happy to get their kids to school and get them through the required courses. So, you know, when you think about that, not letting a 12-year-old, 13-year-old walk in middle school graduation, that seems kind of harsh. Like, is that the point? You know, other people said their kids got a tremendous amount from it. They were able to execute it. They had schools that did have requirements. Again, public, private, parochial, it seems to be across the board. There are a lot of community service requirements, but they said that the schools run the program. It's not the, it's not on the parents back. It's like group service projects with the whole school. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve- and, I mean, I know a number of the organiz- uh, people that work with organizations wrote to our web, our Facebook page and said that they count on volunteers. Yeah. They, you know, they really, you know, they need people to come and help because that's, you know, that's, that's sort of integral to their whole organization. So it's not yeah. like you're, you're not, it's not like you were, you're still in favor of volunteering. Yeah, it's no, just, no, I'm still in favor of volunteering. I think it's the aspect of run through the schools and mandatory. Yeah. Like, is yeah. it, you know... Is that on top of everything else what the school's job is, is to, you know, mandate a well-rounded kid? Right. You know, when very often they also have to do competing community service, scouting, churches, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Stephen wrote in, he said he runs uh, a church program selling African crosses to churches and other institutions. And then the proceeds go back to Africa. And he said, we're continually in need of volunteers for quality control, but we can only get kids from parochial schools because the public schools won't let their kids use anything religious, any service hours for a religious organization for their credit. So that, I mean, so it's complicated, right? Yeah, very complicated. Like, again, idea is good, concept good, exposing kids, hoping something takes, all good. It's just the execution can then become a burden. Kathleen also runs an organization through her church. And so they do a 12 week food drive with uh, concentrated with NGOs, and they serve the homeless people, mainly seniors. And she said their church doesn't allow children to do it because they want to respect the dignity of uh, the people that they're serving. Seniors are sometimes uncomfortable. And they, you know, they did one time they were, they're not allowed to post photos or sort of, you know, make a big show of their community service. So a lot of, a lot of different opinions on this, a lot of different opinion. Sue, I liked what she said. She said, I think if we spend more time on emotional learning and values and civic responsibility, we might find young people interested in the world around them. Volunteering with no context really doesn't make sense. It's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Although they do actually spend time on, on that kind of stuff in right. certain it's schools. It's just that the kids aren't yeah. paying attention to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that most schools are trying to provide that. Trying context. to provide that context. Uh, Christine said that they have a volunteer requirement in their high school as a whole, did something like 10,000 hours of community service, which is amazing. Uh, it, that is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. All together, that's what they did. 
they said we're lucky because it doesn't have to be inconvenient or only during the school year, which is a requirement at my son's school, and it helps them find something they love and continue to do into adulthood. Yeah, that's the hope is that they really connect with some group, be it a church group or be it animals or seniors or an arts group or a music group. I think that's the hope. Uh, and then, um, uh, let me see. There was one really funny one <laughs> said, oh, Carrie. Carrie said she had no problem helping her son, and we've done several community service projects as a family before he was in high school. I'm just waiting for him to get off the pot and express an interest in anything. (laughs) No. Well put, Carrie. Carrie, I think many of us feel your pain. Hey, it's really hard. I mean, when you get up into the hours, like 30, 40 hours of service a year, you got to care about what you're doing. That's not a couple of one-off Saturdays. You Mm -hmm. actually have to care. So, uh, and then we had a couple of responses from college professors, some who mandated community service in their class and others who encouraged it. And they said, what happens is by the time kids get graduate from high school, they expect credit for community service. Like they don't, they won't just do it because they want some kind of credit for it. I thought, I thought that was interesting too. So, uh, there you go. More on community service. Thank you for all your responses. A lot of people joined the Facebook group this week, so we're happy to have you. You can ask to join. It's, we have a, we have a Facebook page, which is just the satellite sisters, just like it. And there you go. And then we have a Facebook group that's interactive and we'd love to have you just ask to join and um, you'll be approved usually. Um, so it's like getting into college, Leanne. It's, it the same, it's right? much easier. It's much, much easier. easier. Much easier. Well, Leanne, you know, it is Tuesday, as yeah. we've said from the top of the show. And that is now we're, we're on <laughs> Tuesday trends. And I, I have two fashion trends that I'm bringing to you, which is unusual, right, Leanne? Because this is not really, uh, you'll, usually Sheila does this, but there was one that caught my eye and maybe you've seen this. Uh, it's been uh, in magazines and in, it's in the newspaper is an art director in New York um, just came to a decision um, after after one day of like, you know, she was scurrying to get to work and, you know, she was, you know, she had to take the subway and she was in a rush and she was all stressed and she showed and she thought she had to look good because she was going to be doing a company presentation and she shows up and she realizes she has her sweater on inside out. Now, hasn't that happened yes. to all of us? I, yes. I, I mean, I know I have showed up to places mm-hmm. with tags still on items and, you know, just not completely pulled together. Well, that was the turning point for this um, a young art director. And what she did, decided to do was that she wanted to adopt a uniform to wear to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you know, uniforms are common in certain industries, but she worked in advertising as an art director, and that was not a field where you typically wear a uniform. But what she did is she went out and bought 15 identical white silk shirts with a diagonal button line from Zara. So they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, you know, very expensive shirts, but she bought 15 of the same shirt. And then she bought multiple pairs of black pants and she just wore that outfit every single day to work. <laughs> I like it. Do you like it, Leanne? I, yeah. I mean, you did know, did she add like, any accessories? Did she? She did occasionally. Occasionally. She would, occasionally she would, um, she would add a little like bolero tie Ooh, to the top of the oh, shirt. That a sounds terrible. Black, yeah. No, no, no. It was like a black cord, a little black okay. cord. Okay. 
a bow tie. No, totally. She's an art director. Lynn. Yeah. And so she yeah. had, it was, it was art directed her outfit, you know, but she just decided that she was going to wear a uniform and it streamlined her life. You know, the, I bet then, it she did. Did, then she didn't have to worry about what she was going to wear for a big presentation. She always, you know, look good, look good, not you know, but she didn't have to, you know, she didn't have to go out and buy things at the last minute. She didn't have to spend money on stuff that, you know, turned out to be a mistake or didn't fit well, or, you know, how you, you know, you do right. that when you're like, Oh yeah. So, and she had a little more disposable income at the end of the year because she wasn't spending as much on clothing. Now, so, did anyone notice, were there any drawbacks to wearing the uniform? She didn't, she didn't know. There was no, there was no particular drawbacks. In fact, uh, people did notice and she had an article written in a fashion magazine about, about what she did. <laughs> so it seems to be positive for her. You know? Yeah. And now the story has been picked up by. Jewel. Julie. Hello. Jewel. Hello. Oh my gosh. Pluto's moon's there. Uh, just a fundamentally unstable situation. And apparently, uh, according to a text I got from Julie, power outage at her house and two to four hours. We're not going to be able to do get the rest of the show in today. So I'm just going to take over. This is Leanne. I'm still here in Pasadena. Um, this is what happens occasionally, but we will carry on, right? We'll, we won't be, uh, we won't be flummoxed. We won't be wobbly and unstable and eccentric like Pluto's moons are. We are going to carry on. I feel like I promised you some good information. <laughs> so Julie had another, uh, fashion tip i'm sorry we didn't get to because it revolves around the land's end catalog but we'll have to save that for next week um so uh i'm just gonna move right ahead just it's gonna pick up where we would have moved on to i had some movie and tv recommendations for julie because i feel so bad about um the horrific nature of last week's outlander Outlander finale. And I know she was very appreciative of all the support she got and also the encouragement she got to hang in there, that Dragonfly and Amber, the next book is very different. There won't be anything as brutal in that. You know, it goes back to sort of the magic of time travel and what we all know and love about the relationship of Claire and Jamie. So she is weighing that possibility. I don't want to pressure her, but in the meantime, I thought she might need a palate cleanser. So I actually went to the movies twice this week. Um, this, is what this is what happens when your husband goes out of town. First of all, you get to watch the Tony Awards without any grief. That was fantastic. I enjoyed the show so much, but particularly because none of the men in my house were home and I could just watch it and just enjoy Alan Cumming and his short pants. I, I was fine with that. Uh, I love the Tonys, but I also got to the theater to see two actual feature films and they both have kind of a classical literature base. So I thought they would be perfect for Julie. The first one I recommend without hesitation, and that is a new adaptation of Far From the Matting Crowd. Uh, that is Thomas Hardy's novel. It's like a classic, uh, I want to say a, a romantic love triangle, but it's actually a romantic quadrangle. Uh, Carrie Mulligan plays uh, Bathsheba, as they say, Bathsheba Everdeen is the main character, and she is fantastic in this role as sort of a proud and independent farming girl in England.
England in the 1870s. And she is courted and wooed by three different men, uh, the soldier, the well-to-do farmer next door, and ladies, the shepherd. And all I have to say, Julie and others, is um, you may want to take a gander at uh, the shepherd because it's a little bit like uh, the Highlanders. <laughs> Just saying. You may change your allegiance from the Highlanders to shepherds around the world. Once you see the shepherd in Far From the Madding Crowd, it is like unadulterated romance. It's fantastic. Beautifully acted, beautifully shot. It's two hours. Maybe it feels a little slow in the middle, but it's deliberate is what I would say the pace is. And the payoff at the end is totally worthwhile. So I think if you enjoy your Downton Abbey's, if you enjoyed your movie version of Pride and Prejudice, you will enjoy the new version of Far From the Madding Crowd. Fantastic. Can't recommend it enough. Now, this other one also has its roots in classical literature, uh, Gemma Bovary. Okay. So um, it is, of course, based on Madame Bovary. And um, this is set, it's sort of a Franco-English film. It's like half in French, half in English. There's subtitles. People go back and forth. It's set in France, but it stars a British couple that relocates to France. And her name is Gemma Bovary. So it's a modern day retelling of the Emma Bovary story. And I will say this, it is unexpectedly sort of dark in places, unexpectedly uh, humorous in places, and is also adult in places. So this is not one to take your high school senior. Um, that You know, it's definitely a French film and it's a bit naughty in places and a bit adult, but uh, I think it is just edgy enough and I really, really enjoy the performances in this movie. And uh, just some beautiful scenery, beautifully shot in Normandy and just kind of an unexpected ending. So I would also recommend that with an asterisk because it does have naughty scenes and naughty language, as Julie would say. So for Julie, I just wanted to make sure she wasn't traumatized. It's a trigger warning for her after the Outlander season finale. And then finally, one other thing I wanted to mention um, is a new scripted TV show on Bravo that I really enjoyed called Odd Mom Out. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about... Um, the alleged anthropologist on the Upper East Side that had published a piece about uh, wife bonuses, right? Her name is Wednesday Martin. Well, I guess apparently she's lied about many things, including her name, which is actually Wendy Martin. But I thought, oh, Wednesday, that's a good name for an anthropologist. And apparently she's not really an anthropologist, as she described herself in the article. She, uh, I guess, just shops at anthropology. I, I don't know. She's an actual anthropologist. And she made a lot of wild statements about women on the Upper East Side and she has a book coming out and blah, blah. And Julie and I disbelieved pretty much everything she said. And the book coming out, which is non allegedly memoir, nonfiction, has a lot of other, you know, things that don't quite add up. So let's just forget about Wednesday Martin and those mothers, but try Odd Man Out on Bravo because it's a very funny scripted comedy about mothers on the Upper East Side. But it, again, it's fiction. It's played for comedy. It's got a great cast, really well acted, kind of an interesting story of how it came to be. The two executive producers, the showrunners, are both veteran Sex and the City writers. The woman starring in it is also a novelist and has made her career as a New York Times, Jill Kargman, as a New York Times bestselling novelist. And now she's starring in this TV show, um, 
that she helped to create. So it's a fantastic story of sort of satellite sisterhood in action. The two showrunners were childhood best childhood best friends, which I love, and now they're writing partners together. And the first two episodes were on Bravo, and they'll repeat throughout the week. Super funny. I just I thought it was really well done, really well acted, very clever, not not super mean spirited, just very smart writing. And I really, really enjoyed it. So congratulations, odd mom out. Fantastic job. So there you go, Julie. I'm just trying to make it up, you know, (laughs) make up the Outlander finale to you. So check out Far From the Matting Crowd, Gemma Bovary, which is going to be in your art house films. And then on Bravo, odd mom out. Okay. I think we're going to save the Go Red for women stuff and a few things till next week when Julie comes back. I also, but I will throw this out here. All right. I did not know this was a thing. When Sheila has a segment, right? Like, is this a trend or did I miss it or something like that? When, you know, (laughs) what did I miss or how did I miss this? I can't recall. She comes up with a new segment every week. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but three times in the last week, I've come across articles in Real Simple. I turned on an infomercial on television and then another thing online about something that apparently has been happening for a while, but I was unaware of it. And it's the no shampoo movement. Are you familiar with this? Apparently it's referred to by beauty bloggers as no poo, which is just disgusting. So I'm not going to call it that. But I first read of it in Real Simple Magazine where one of the beauty editors told every told confessed that she had not shampooed her hair in 10 years and she just uses conditioner in her hair to like rub her scalp and then wash it out and then she puts in another round of conditioner and she washes it out, washes it out and she doesn't use shampoo. And it made me think, well, is something wrong with shampoo? Did I miss that memo? I mean, I understand. I try not to shampoo my hair every day. I understand it's probably not great for you to shampoo every day, but is it dangerous? (laughs) So then I did more investigating. And apparently this is a movement that's been around since like 2008, 2009. Some people use conditioner. Other people use baking soda and water as a shampoo-like substance. And they rinse, they rub that into their scalp. They rinse it and they put shampoo on. And, uh, and then I turned on the TV the other morning and it was on an infomercial channel. And there was that WEN guy, those WEN hair products. And they were selling a no-shampoo conditioner set. I, I, okay, here's, here's the deal, Satellite Sisterhood. If you have tried this no shampoo thing, what's the story? <laughs> Does it work? What's the point? What did I miss? How did I miss this? <laughs> Is this like adult coloring books? Is it worth it? I'm kind of intrigued by it. I don't know why, but because uh, I like shampoo, I've got nothing. But it just seemed like three articles in one week. Maybe I should pay attention to it. Maybe we can get the lab rats to test this out, or maybe Julie and I can test it out for the Tuesday show. So let us know if you have tried the no shampooing movement, any of these options, baking soda, conditioner, rinsing your hair, then just let us know on the Facebook group. All right. We're the Satellite Sisters. That wraps it up for today. Uh, sorry, Julie had to drop off, but that, you know, that's one of the charms of self-producing your own show. <laughs> 
charming, isn't it? It's charming. Uh, we'd like to thank you always for your support of Satellite Sisters, for spreading around the links, for uh, the great messages on Facebook, particularly this week. So many messages in support of Liz. I know she's really appreciated that. And uh, we enjoy interacting with you. I hope you enjoy interacting with us. We are the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. Mm-hmm.